Hey, Cross United, I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. I want to invite you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 14. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11 as we continue our series, our mini-series called Best Supporting Actors. While you're turning there, I want to remind you, you can go to crossunited.org. And there are two places you can click there at crossunited.org. The first is on the top left-hand side of the menu bar, Online check-in is the place where you can access our digital connection card. It's a place where you can fill out more information about yourself if you want to connect to our church. And uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. There's also a spot on there where you can fill out any prayer needs that you have. We would love uh, to pray for you. Also there on the top right-hand side of the menu bar, there is our giving tab. That will take you to our secure online giving platform. As a new church, we are working to become self-supporting, so we uh, encourage you to give and give generously to our church and through our church as God has given you ability. Also, I want to invite you to get plugged in. There are so many ways for you to get plugged in. Um, You can join our setup team, our music team. Uh, There's uh, opportunities to serve with our kids team. We have Bible studies happening all throughout the year. Um, We're going to be doing this spring a book drive for local elementary school. And then Easter. I want to invite you uh, for Easter to pick up a sign to put in your front yard to invite your neighbors, your friends, your family to join us on April 4th, Easter Sunday, for a special worship service. Um, And it's just going to be a great opportunity to reconnect uh, with one another, to reconnect in community. So I want to invite you to to get that sign. You can pick it up on Sunday, or if you need someone to drop it off, we can arrange that for you as well. All right, there in John 14, we're uh, continuing our mini-series Best Supporting Actors. Um, Alexander Hamilton, in the rendition of his story by Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, sings or says a very well-known statement now, uh, one of the famous songs, uh, I will never be satisfied. And, and he says this to the, the daughter of a, an important and influential man, uh, a part of the Schuyler family. Angelica Schuyler was the eldest daughter. And, and Alexander Hamilton, if you've seen the musical um, or if you know his story, you know that he married Angelica's younger sister, Eliza. And uh, the song is this interaction between Angelica and Alexander and this sort of this romantic tension that developed between them. Now most historians think that it actually was a fictional, that's actually a fictionalized account, that's not actually the relationship that uh, Alexander Hamilton and and Angelica Schuyler had with one another, but but what what the 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 writer and the producer of that R&B hip-hop musical score uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing is he's taking this relationship and he's tapping into a longing that exists in all of our hearts a longing to find satisfaction to find something that will satisfy us and this this awareness that we have that we may never be satisfied. He says, Alexander says to Angelica in this song, um, you strike me as a woman who has never been satisfied. And she says, I'm sure you don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. You forget yourself. And he says, you're like me. I'm never satisfied. Is that right? She says, I've never 
been satisfied. And that's kind of a theme that runs through the story of Alexander Hamilton. And there, like I said, is there's the tapping into this, this thing inside of us that we desire more. And there's a longing that, that we find so elusive to satisfy that, 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 that the world around us and the life we live so often does not seem to be quite enough. Um, we see this longing is universal to the human experience, and it's actually a part of the story of Jesus' friends and followers. We're in this mini-series, Best Supporting Actors, where on the night, uh, Jesus' last night with his disciples, his friends, his followers, he's spending the evening eating with them and sharing his heart with them, and he's having conversations with these men who had followed him. And, and Peter, we see, asks him the question about, as he's, Jesus is preparing them for his departure, um, where are you going? Why can't I follow you? And then Thomas says, how can we know where you're, how can we follow you if we how can we know where you're going if if we don't know how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going and Jesus gently uh, but directly corrects them and rebukes them and now we see Philip enter the picture um Philip wants to know how Jesus can satisfy him with the father's face Philip and uh and, and is, is we see his story throughout uh, the Gospel of John a number of times in chapter 1 and then in uh, chapter 6. And, and Philip, uh, Philip is concerned about sufficiency or satisfaction or having enough. He's, a, he's a, sort of a calculating kind of guy. Um, Peter was concerned about bravery. Thomas was concerned about practicality. But, but Philip... Philip is concerned about satisfaction. And, and here we encounter a question in, in, in Philip's question to Jesus, and that is, what will satisfy us? Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Philip's question is about the Father, but his, his real issue is with Jesus. Now, what Philip's longing for is a good thing. What Philip's longing for is to see what Moses wanted to see. Exodus 33, where Moses asks the Lord, Yahweh, let me see your glory. Let me see your face. And the Lord says, you can't see my face. You can see my back as I hide you in the, in the, in the crevice of the rock on the mountain. Philip wants to see what we are all, we are all longing to see. Leslie Newbegin, the Missionary theologian said to have a vision of God is the longing of every devout soul. And in fact, it's the longing of every soul. To, to want to see God is what we were wired to long for. Philip, Philip thinks Jesus has been holding out on them. Philip thinks that Jesus has been talking all throughout his time with these friends and followers about the Father. Now we know from the opening prologue of John in chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 that the 
that Jesus is the perfect word of the Father, the perfect and only begotten Son of the Father, God of God, light of light, the, the, that the Father is eternally begotten His Son in the, in the eternal divine life of the one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that. And, and, and throughout the, the Gospel of John, Jesus has talked over and over about his father, about the temple being his father's house, about the worship of his father to the Samaritan woman in spirit and in truth. He's, he's told them that if you know him, you will have, if you have known Jesus, you will know the father. He says that the, he and the father do the same works and they speak the same words and they actually have the same life. John 5, 26 is the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son to have life in himself. That, that important theological teaching of eternal generation that the father eternally begets his son. And he's said ultimately in John 10 verse 30, I and the father, we are one. We are distinct persons, but we are one God. Jesus has explained that in, in earlier in chapter 14, just, just moments before, that he's going to prepare the Father's place for them. And he's told them, and he's told Thomas and, and all of them overhearing that, that he is preparing the, that he is preparing the Father's place and he is the way to the Father. Not just the Father's place, but the Father's person. And Philip, Philip still doesn't get it. And he thinks, if I could just see the Father, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father. You've been talking so much about the Father. Show us the Father and it will be enough. So, some translations take it as, that will satisfy us. Just a little bit more, Jesus. Show us the Father. We know this is Philip's personality from, from earlier in the book in John 6. Philip was a man who was a calculator. Uh, he, was a, he was a man who was worried about sufficient or insufficient resources. There in John 6, verse 4, after the, the Passover, Jewish, a Jewish festival was near, so Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, and he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Jesus asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. That word enough is the same word he uses. Philip uses again in chapter 14, verse 8, which is our text for this teaching. And it's the only two times that the word is used in John's gospel. He says, 200 denarii. That, that a, a denarius was a, was a day's wages for a laborer. That's almost a year's worth of wages. Tens of thousands of dollars wouldn't be enough. It would not satisfy the needs of this crowd. Philip is a calculator. He's a man who's worried about scarcity and in fear that there won't be enough. He, he's a man who doesn't believe in abundance, even though Jesus has said that he came that they may have life and have it in abundance. If you're familiar with the Enneagram personality typology, and if you're not, that's fine. But, but uh, Philip, I think, would have been an Enneagram 5, which may, maybe I think that just because I, I think I'm an Enneagram 5. And one of the things an Enneagram 5 struggles with is worrying about depletion of resources, not just financial, but personal, relational, emotional, spiritual, worrying that you will run out. 
This is Philip. Philip is worried that Jesus will not be enough. But if he shows them, if Jesus shows them the Father, then that would be enough. We see Philip makes a double mistake here. He overestimates himself and his ability to calculate his own need. And he underestimates Jesus. He overestimates himself and he underestimates Jesus. And, and aren't we so much like Philip? It's easy, to, it's easy to judge Philip harshly and say, come on, man, why didn't you get it? Until we realize that we, we are Philip. We're constantly thinking just a little bit more. If I had just a little bit more. If we just had a little bit more. If I just had a little more time. If I just had a little more bandwidth. If I, if I just had a little bit more money. If I just had a little bit more success. If we just had a little more relationship harmony. If I just had a little bit more, that would be enough. But it's never enough. What will satisfy us? This is the second thing we see in Jesus' answer. Only Jesus will satisfy us. Only Jesus will be enough. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Notice Jesus says in verse 9, Have I been among you? Now that's a plural you. Have I been among y'all? Have I been among you as a group all of this time? And you, singular, do not know me, Philip. See, Philip, like each one of us, is going to be individually responsible, personally responsible for the way he responded to who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Have I been among you all this time and you still don't know me? If you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And Philip should have, she, he should have known this. Jesus has already said this. John 12, 44 and 45. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. Philip, Philip should have known, but he didn't. We should know, and too often we don't. But here we see in Jesus' response to Philip, three ways that God has hardwired us to be satisfied in Jesus, to, to find Jesus to be enough for us. The first way, the Son is the perfect image of the Father. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. See, God is one God, but he is distinct persons, but the distinct persons are one God. So you can't know one person of the Trinity without simultaneously knowing the other two. They're more alike than identical twins, yet distinct. Colossians 1.5 says Jesus is the image 
of the invisible God. Excuse me, 115. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. He, he's not the image of God in the way we think of image. He's not like a, a picture or a painting or a, or, or, a, or, a, or a sculpture. He is a living image of the living God. The one nature of God. Eternally begotten. The Father begetting the Son. He is the perfect image of the Father. So then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father because we are one. And that's why the second thing we see. The Son and the Father are the same nature. The Son is the perfect essence of the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? They, they mutually indwell one another because they are the same nature. They have the same nature, not the same kind of nature, but the exact same nature, though they are distinct persons. They mutually indwell one another, but they are not the same persons as one another. We, we, we go astray when we think that they're just different expressions of the same person, that God sort of just changes his roles throughout time. Like one point he shows up as father, another time he shows up as son, another time he shows up as spirit, as if like one time I'm with my wife and, and I'm her husband and then I'm with my kids and I'm their dad and I'm with my parents and I'm their son. No, 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 he's not one person with three distinct roles. He is one God in three eternally distinct persons who nevertheless fully mutually indwell one another. And he's also not like three persons, like a family gets together and there's a, you know, father, son, and a, a mom, you know, together where there's this like family society or just united in their love for one another. No, no, no. They are one essence. The father, the son, and the spirit are the identically same God, yet distinct persons. That the Father eternally gives life and love to His Son and eternally begetting His Son. And the Father and the Son eternally breathe out the Spirit. So there's no, there's no separation. There's no lapse of time. There is no inferiority that they are equally God and eternally distinct. Third, the Father and the Son do the same works. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. The word of God is a work of God, that God accomplishes his work through his word. We see that in creation, right? God spoke and it was so. And this is where the rubber meets the road. The Son is the perfect image of the Father. The Father and the Son are identically the same essence, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Here we see that the Father's and the Son's words and works are the same. So there isn't three distinct uh, relationships you have. You don't have a different relationship with the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. You don't have a different way of relating and, and a different different you don't have different voices coming from the three different persons. They speak and work as one. And anytime we try to separate one of the persons from the others, we end up falling into very dangerous error. 
when we try to separate the Father from the Son and the Spirit and say the Father is the Most High God, the Son and Spirit are lower than Him. We, we debase and, and we degrade and we dishonor the Son and the Spirit. When we try to elevate the Son above the Father and the Spirit and make the Father some sort of, some sort of um, um, distant person of the Trinity who's not involved, or the, and, and the Son is, is, is central in, in a way that subordinates the others, then, then we dishonor the Father and the Spirit. If we try to take the Spirit and, and, and elevate the Spirit and the Spirit's voice over the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, then we dishonor the Spirit we, we dishonor the Son and the Father by trying to honor the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit speak and work as one. We cannot separate the persons of the Trinity. We can distinguish, but we cannot separate. The Father, Son, and Spirit always are about the same work and always speaking the same word. So that the Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. Jesus says he will not speak on his own, but he will speak as has been given to him. Not because he is less, but because he is Spirit. The Father and the Son and the Spirit speak and work as one. And here Jesus presents the solution to Philip's knowledge problem. Believe me. That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Philip's problem was a knowledge problem. He wants to know God, the Father. But the solution is a faith solution. The problem with not knowing God is that he doesn't believe in Christ. Augustine taught us long ago, that faith seeks understanding. We don't know in order to believe, but we believe so that we can know. That Philip, if he wants to see the Father, all he has to do is start to believe in the Son. The, the, the command scholars have noted stresses not just believing in Jesus in a personal relationship, but believing in the statement of truth that Jesus has spoken. You need a personal relationship with Jesus. You also need to believe the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is. What Philip needs to do is what we need to do. Return in faith to the character and the conduct of our triune God. The God who, in all of his ways and all of his works and all of that he is, is, as theologian John Webster said, the God without measure. The God who never ends. We never find the end of God's enough. God is always enough and infinitely more. First Kings recounts the dedication of the temple and says, Will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. That word for contain there is the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as what Philip says here to Jesus. If you show us the Father, it's enough. It will satisfy us. That is, 
the heavens and the temple cannot be they you they, they will never you 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 cannot be contained there's always more enough there's always more satisfaction there's always more of god than we can imagine and this is why heaven is eternal because we will never exhaust the reality of god in his nature and character revealed in Jesus Christ, God the Son, Son of God the Father, to become a human being, to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, to be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life so that we can be brought back to God and one day see him like we were designed to. The Apostle Paul wrestled with this. This question that Philip wrestles with, that Alexander and Angelica wrestled with, that you and I wrestle with. Will Jesus be enough? Will we ever be satisfied? Paul was wrestling with what he called his thorn in the flesh. And he prays for God to take it away, for Jesus to take it away. And this is the answer he receives. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, that's literally the exact same form of the word from Philip's question to Jesus. My grace is enough. My grace is satisfying. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in weakness. So will he be enough? In the movie Cool Runnings, John Candy plays this disgraced uh, bobsledder uh, named Irv Blitzer. And um, he is disgraced and has been disqualified from the sport and had his gold medals stripped uh, for for cheating in the Olympics and uh, ends up getting connected to this group of Jamaican runners or sprinters and track track and field athletes who want uh, to field the the first Jamaican bobsled team. You maybe maybe you've seen the the movie at at some point and and, and the leader of the group is Doris Bannock and he wants to win a gold medal but he also wants to know why his coach cheated. There's this interaction where he asks John Candy's character, he asks his coach, he says, he asks why he cheated. He wants to know. And John Candy says, it's a fair question. It's quite simple, really. I had to win. Darice is a little puzzled. He, he said, I don't understand, coach. You had two gold medals. You, you had it all. And his coach responds to him, Doris, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you will never be enough with it. Will Jesus be enough for you? Because without Jesus, nothing else ever will be. And you will never be satisfied.
Thank you.